So this week in immigration was pretty jam-packed with the news. Public charge received a favorable vote from the Supreme Court. The regulation was unveiled in August. It gives officials more power to deny visas and green card applications from immigrants who the government determined rely or could rely on certain public benefits. Birthright citizenship is addressed again as the administration looks to halt the trend, coin birth tourism. Under this policy, anyone who breaks into our country and has a child, the very next moment that child would be made a citizen for life. Great. This policy has even created an entire industry of birth tourism, big business, where pregnant mothers travel to America to make their children instant American citizens. And lastly, an expansion of the travel ban is expected to be released sometime this week, adding an additional seven new countries. Public charge, birth tourism, and the travel ban. Sounding like deja vu? It should. All were defining 2019 stories that seemingly is now getting its 2020 makeover. Today, we talk about the changes, updates, and expectations of each and how it may affect you this year. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Now, adjustment applicants will be required to provide evidence of all debt, government assistance requested in the past, or a government assistance or public benefits that the individual has applied for and recently withdrawn from, and also English skills in terms of proficiency in the English language. Uh, required information and documentation will also includes information about mortgages, car loans, credit card debt, education loans, tax debt, liens, personal loans, credit score, bankruptcy history, health insurance, whether or not the individual has ever benefited from Medicaid, SNAP, SSI, all of this is now being requested. That was managing attorney Hiba Amber from our October 14th episode listing the personal and financial documentation that USCIS would require from applicants to prove that they are not a public charge, aka a burden on U.S. taxpayers. At that point in time, Judge George Daniels of the U.S. District Court in Manhattan issued a preliminary nationwide injunction prohibiting the administration from enforcing those rules a few days before it was slated to take effect on that Tuesday. Side note, if you're looking for in-depth analysis and legal perspective on the first injunction, please listen to episode 63. HIPAA Amber and Justin Parson in proper EIG fashion uncomplicates the complicated. But let's fast forward back to the present. Since the temporary injunction in October, last week the Supreme Court decided to weigh in. The Supreme Court has lifted a nationwide injunction against a sweeping policy targeting low-income immigrants. In a 5-4 ruling, the court approved the Trump administration's so-called public charge rule. So what does this do? The Supreme Court ruling allows the administration to move forward with the White House's version of public charge, which is a dramatically expanded interpretation of the rule. This allows USCIS to deny green cards to immigrants who are considered likely to use public assistance used in any 12 months within a 36-month period, such as Medicare and food stamps. And their take on this? Administration officials and immigration hawks have strongly defended this rule, arguing that it will promote quote-unquote self-sufficiency and self-reliance among immigrant communities here in the U.S. Very interesting terminology. So the question begs, is there a self-sufficiency or self-reliance issue afflicting the immigrant population disproportionately to native-born Americans? Luckily, 
In 2018, the Cato Institute conducted a study examining exactly that. What they found from the nearly $2.3 trillion spent on welfare programs in 2016, immigrants counted for 39% fewer welfare benefits relative to all natives. That's around $900 billion less. This includes cash assistance, SNAP, SSI, Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. So leaving facts and numbers aside, let's get back to the Supreme Court ruling. When you take a look at it, the court's main reason to lift the preliminary injunction questions the validity of nationwide injunctions itself, rather than addressing the legal grounds of public charge. Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch argues the following. Today, the court rightly grants a stay, allowing the government to pursue, for now, its policy. The real problem here is the increasingly common practice of trial courts ordering relief that transcends the concurring cases before them. Whether framed as injunctions of nationwide, universal, or cosmic scope, these orders share the same basic flaw. They direct how the defendant must act towards persons who are not parties to the case. This is not normal. Universal injunctions have little basis in traditional equitable practice. Their use has proliferated only in very recent years. Removing the legal jargon, basically the Supreme Court wants to discourage the tit-for-tat practice of nationwide injunctions that courts use to, dare I say, trump other courts outside of their jurisdiction. Public charge itself was not really addressed in the ruling, and the future of this rule still needs to be decided. For now, it stays. And the Democrats want to continue giving automatic birthright citizenship to every child born to an illegal alien. Even if they've been on our soil for only a matter of seconds. Last Friday, the State Department released changes to the visa guidelines to make it more difficult for foreign nationals to enter the U.S. in order to give birth to their child as a U.S. citizen, a practice commonly known as birth tourism. Future moms get a plain tourist visa. All they need to do is prove they are planning to return to their native country, show a return ticket, and provide a bank statement. Basically, they need to demonstrate that American taxpayers are not going to be the ones paying their medical bills. Visas are typically issued for three months. Women fly out about a month before their due date, have the baby, and stay for another month. And while birth tourism costs them around $20,000, many prefer to pay it for all the comfort Miami has to offer before they pack up again and fly their new baby back to its second home. So in dealing with the practice itself, if a counselor officer has any reason to believe that the applicant's primary purpose to travel to the U.S. is to give birth to a child in order to gain U.S. citizenship, that officer has the authority to deny their B visas. This determination is solely up to the discretion of that officer. Denials can occur if an applicant is unable to establish a legitimate reason why he or she wishes to travel to the United States for medical treatment. They also must provide information on the duration of stay, cost of medical treatment, as well as proof that the applicant is able to pay for that treatment. 
Some argue the purpose of this visa update is to guard against a potential long-term national security threat where foreign nationals groom U.S. citizens who were raised overseas without any attachment to the U.S. Ada Lin's family paid $27,000 to a Chinese agency with a website that advertises the advantages of giving birth in America. The agency helps arrange U.S. tourist visas, lodging, and medical care. The practice does not violate federal immigration laws, but it gives Chinese parents the option down the road to have their American children attend U.S. universities or live here. Birth tourism is a citizenship loophole that has become a market economy. Many proponents advocate that an effective use of the government's resources should be spent targeting industry itself rather than birthright citizenship or visa travelers. And just for clarity, when it comes to birthright citizenship in the 14th Amendment, former House Speaker Paul Ryan previously addresses this concern. Well, you obviously cannot do that. Uh, you cannot end birthright citizenship with an executive order. We didn't like it when Obama tried changing immigration laws via executive action. And obviously, as conservatives, um, you know, we believe in, in, in the Constitution. You know, as a conservative, I'm a believer in following the plain text of the Constitution. And I think in this case, the 14th Amendment is pretty clear. Mm -hmm. um, and that would involve a very, very lengthy constitutional process. Mm -hmm. But where we obviously totally agree with the president is getting at the root issue here, which is um, unchecked illegal immigration. When do privacy rights end? And where do they begin when it comes to determining one's pregnancy status? The protocol for officers to determine a traveler's purpose is still left somewhat obscure. It reads, you must not ask a visa applicant whether they are pregnant unless you have a specific articulable reason to believe they may be pregnant and planning to give birth in the United States. You should document any such reason in your case notes. You must not, as a matter of course, ask all female applicants or any specific subsets of applicants whether they are pregnant or intend to become pregnant. The space in which a counselor's power begins and ends is simply not well defined. This week, the travel ban is expected to expand to seven additional countries, Nigeria, Myanmar, Sudan, Belarus, Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, and Tanzania. This list originates from an earlier release draft of the policy, which is subject to change at any time before it is finalized. However, the countries that are selected would be excluded from the Diversity Visa Lottery, a program that randomly allots green cards to nationalities with low rates of U.S. immigration. So, why these countries? The criteria that the Trump administration seems to be using now uh, appears to me to be valid. What they've said is that if uh, the right technology is not being used in the passports to keep the passports uh, secure and legitimate, uh, or if the uh, anti-terrorism procedures that that government has in place do not meet U.S. standards for travel uh, and or other things that impact U.S. security, that is how you wind up on this list. Okay. Uh, when we see the details released next Monday, we'll find out if he's complying with what the rumors are. It is not clear that the countries listed pose a unique national security threat. However, a global response from the international community will likely seek a justifiable explanation for such measures. Until then, I'm Ian Gaines, and this was A Week in Immigration. Thank you.